Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast Network. Uh, today we have the Pop Culture Show with George and Craig. My, my name is Craig Schaup. I'm your host. We are joined again, as always, by George Thomas, Akron Beacon Journal sports writer and film critic. George, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's almost two, the weekend. Well, I'm off for of two weeks of vacation and I'm not sure if I'm back in that groove yet. So, you know. It's always hard. It's always hard to get back into a groove, especially after a long vacation. So, well, we know that you had a chance to get into the groove with writing another film review. This time you reviewed uh, HBO Max, same day release and theatrical release, Space Jam, A New Legacy. This time we're, oh, more than 20 years or so uh, outside of the Michael Jordan Space Jam from 96. Um, what did you think of this new legacy Space Jam with LeBron James starring? I did not get your question. Okay. Uh, so what did you think of the new Space was uh, Space Jam, A New Legacy here with LeBron James? Uh, I'm going to preface this by saying, you know what? I didn't like Space Jam, the original. Okay. I think, I think it did it. And again, you're in your late 30s. I think it did a disservice to Looney Tunes. Yeah. I think uh, Michael Jordan couldn't act a lick, even playing himself. <laughs> um, <laughs> the premise was dopey, and it's, you know, it's even dopier here, but you know what? Um, that, all that being said, for what it was, and, uh, you know, I'm going to be called a homer for this because of the paper who I write for. And and because of where Le, LeBron James is is from, and in the interest of full disclosure, um, as part of my career, the first time he was in Cleveland, I covered him the last two seasons he was here. All right. that being said, you know, it the bar is set low for a, a reboot of Space Jam to start with. That being said, I there were moments I absolutely laughed out loud during this film. You know, it's it's got another goofy premise. Um, Le LeBron and his son zapped into Warner Brothers servers by an algorithm named LG Rhythm. Um, you know, LeBron and his son are at odds because his son has a brain and he likes to code, and he, he likes to design video games. And LeBron being 
the father he is wants his son to follow in his, his rather low concern, his concern. Now, that's one thing I don't get. You know what I mean? I mean, I get LeBron preaches excellence to his son, but he wants him to excel at basketball. And it's like, wouldn't you want you do something where he could use his brain as opposed to putting such duress on his body? Right. But you know, well, it's funny because, and I don't, and I don't know LeBron obviously at all. You, you know him to some degree. Does he seem like he's like that in real life, where he's like, uh, "You have to play basketball"? Like, does he tell Bronny that you have to play basketball because I played basketball? I mean, obviously his son's a talented player, but let's say his son was five foot seven and didn't care about or wasn't good at basketball, would he still demand that same that same entry into the same profession as him? You know, I don't well know him well enough to make. A, a definitive judgment of that. His kids were always around the locker room, especially during playoff time. It would, it, they loved the atmosphere. That being said, you know, I I really don't think so because, you know what, and we're getting into broader things here. As a parent of two sons, I want two things for them. I want them, A, to be happy, and B, to always what they choose to do in life. That that's it. You know, if they they if they're happy working a, a thirty-five thousand dollar a year job and making live off of it, more power to them. Um that's the life they've chosen. So, you know, and and you know let's be honest, racial politics or racial sentiments aside, LeBron's children, our children are privileged to 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 a large degree. Her father's almost a billionaire. They don't have right. to deal with the struggles that 99.99% of children in this country deal with. So I I don't see it. Now, if it were just a message where excel at everything you do, it'd be a different story. Sure. However, then we wouldn't have Space Jam and new, <laughs> new Legacy. <laughs> Well, yeah, based on your description, sounds like sort of a dopey story just to kind of, uh, you know, sort of a plot device to just try to get them into this world. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a lot of like Tron visions here. Maybe they, they're they're getting sucked into the servers and now they're going to be in like a uh, Tron like video game. But in this in this case, they're in sort of a virtual world of, of different things. So tell us a little bit about how maybe. It's similar, maybe not similar to the original Space Jam and where they get into the Looney Tunes uh, aspect of it. Well, Algae Rhythm, who's played by Don Cheadle, pulls them into the, the Warner Brothers servers, okay? Um, he sets it up where ultimately that, that basketball game is based on Dom, LeBron James's son. His son's name is Dom which makes it moderately moderately interesting because it's not what you'd expect out of a typical video game based on basketball. So that, that makes it moderately interesting. But the thing is, Cheeto's character informs LeBron that he has to choose his team to be made up of Looney Tune cartoon characters. Nobody else. And 
they've left Toon World or whatever it's called in the movie, and only Bugs Bunny is left on the planet. So they essentially, for lack of a better term, go on a road trip throughout the, the Warner Brothers universe, planet to planet, topic to topic, Harry Potter world, DC world. Um, and, you know, I'm going to say the, the, the basketball game is, is what you'd expect. It's, it's pretty anticlimactic, blah, 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 blah. The fun for me was watching them visit each and every one of these worlds and the pop culture references. Right. Um, and and they, they have some fun with that, which is what made it enjoyable to me. The second part, LeBron James has always been very self-aware of how he's viewed and, and, and this movie, they have fun with that. Like there are jokes about him not being loyal to any team. There's jokes <laughs> about him leaving Cleveland, leaving Miami, going to LA. All, and he, he allows him to do this. They have fun with it. Again, good for some great laughs. Is right. this is this a piece of art? Nah. <laughs> but for me, and, and mind you, keep in mind, 25 years ago, I did the junket for Space Jam. Um, I still have a folder from that junket with, with I, I don't know what you call the covering of a basketball, but the fo- folder is covered in like a basketball with the Space Jam logo on it. I still have it after all these years. Um, the bar, like I said, was set low. They didn't enjoy the original. This one at least had something for me. It's got something for kids. It's been updated to appeal to them in the, the technological sensibilities that they might have. Like, uh, just like Boss Baby, I won't say that. <laughs> to, to a large degree, like Boss Baby, this is one you go to and you enjoy it with your kids, especially if, if the, the original Space Jam was right in your wheelhouse back there. Because I've, I've read a lot of reviews, and mind you, I'm in the minority on this and, and giving this a positive review. Right. I'm looking at a lot of reviews that I loved Space Jam when I was a kid. And it's like, okay. Um, you're, and and they, they trashed the movie. It's like, I trashed the movie back then. It's like, it's the same thing. A kid. Well, what are, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say one of the things I was intrigued by, and you mentioned it at the top, and you also kind of mentioned this in your review, and we'll get into it in a second. Uh, Michael Jordan's performance as Michael Jordan was 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 bad. Um, in your review, I read in the Akron Beacon Journal, which you guys can go uh, and, and read uh, George's reviews in the AkronBeaconJournal.com. Uh, his review here of Space Jam: A New Legacy. Uh, you had, you know, you said at the top that you were maybe a homer or could be considered a homer, but you were critical of LeBron's performance here. Uh, how overall do you think LeBron and some of these other NBA stars and WNBA stars that made appearances? How do you think they handled the acting craft as opposed to just being great basketball players? Well, to make money playing LeBron in movies. LeBron isn't going to be able to do anything else in movies except count his money as an executive producer. 
Right. I mean, he's not tremendously better than Jordan ever was, but he's believable. As far as the other actors, you know, the other players, they're wooden. It's like, like I said, the the fun for me was at that basketball game, the audience is populated by Warner Brothers characters. Warner Brothers. Right. And it's like, and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. And, and some of them, on a on a slight level, get in on the fun. They got the tone of the Looney Tunes right, which is which is what really bothered me about that original movie. No one has really gotten the Looney Tunes right in the past. Uh, we'll go, let's say, thirty years. And there's a reason for that because as a society, we've evolved, point blank. Right. Since, since the deb- debut of Merry Melodies, which evolved into the, the Looney Tunes over time, um, the edge has been taken off some of these characters because of social, the, the, the right. way society has evolved. And this is the first time I felt their essence anywhere in any medium. And that includes the recent shorts that HBO Max debuted when it went on, on online with streaming. It, right. That made it a positive experience for me because those are the characters I loved. I grew up loving. I mean, right. and we're talking shorts that go back to, you, you know, the 30s, the 40s. You ever see the lithograph? of uh, all the, the characters Mel Blanc, Mel Blanc voice around a, a, an empty microphone. It's called, no. it's called Speechless. That hangs in my living room. <laughs> it, it well, was I thought, yeah, I know that's part of your review. You you talked about tone and, and you know, movies, you know, a lot of times movies can be success, successful based on tone. You know, if they're trying to, you know, you're not going to, be successful if you're playing something like this really, you know, dead serious, maybe having some fun at LeBron's expense, as you said, uh, getting the Looney Tunes characters right, you know, and getting some of these other Warner Brothers, uh, you know, media members in there as well. Although kind of reminds me of like Ready Player One uh, in the opening sequence there where they're uh, showing off, you know, being able to mountain climb with Batman and stuff like that, you know, so it kind of reminds me of that as you talk about it. But see, they're, they're, but see, they do it right, and, he, and it's right. absolutely in that vein. Um, perfect example. There's a a, a five minute scene that um, Lola Bunny has among the a- Amazons, and uh, at Theramacia, and and it's absolutely fantastic. It's it's fun, and you know there have been some people who wrote about it talking about it's nothing but a, a, a commercial for Warner Brothers. Well, yeah, I can see that. But you know what? Warner Brothers has this rich history. And you're doing a, a film based in on some of their main characters, some of their, their, their most cherished pop culture characters. I mean, Bugs Bunny's almost 100 years old, and he's right. still relevant. Yeah. Why are you not going to mine that for everything you can for a laugh? Superman makes a cameo. Yes, Batman makes a cameo. It's all in good fun. Harry Potter makes a cameo. So why are you not going to 
use that. That to me to not use it would be a a crime, and the people complaining about it, it's a bit too cynical for me. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, uh, obviously, this is one of those theatrical yet same day release movies. Um, it's going to be going up against F9 and Black Widow. Do you expect any kind of box office return from a movie like this? Uh, you know what? That's a tricky one. You want to know why? Because of that day and date release on HBO Max. How many parents are going to say, screw right. it? I can watch this with my kid at home. Right. I, you know you know my feelings on, on seeing stuff in the theater, but we also have right. a rise in a, 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 a mini surge in COVID cases right now. Sure. <clears throat> and, and the primary audience is the one that can't really be vaccinated, those 12 and under right now. So, right. Can it do business? I think it absolutely can. Will it? That I don't know. Now, now another thing I wrote is how much LeBron James backlash is there here? You know what I mean? Right. From the social justice stuff, from people, Jordan fans even. I mean, we, we right. our, our sites ran a, a, a small story about him being the most trolled athlete in America. I mean, that's real yeah. stuff. I mean, there, there's, there are LeBron haters out there who'd like nothing but to see him fail. So, you know, you got a lot of factors at play. Well, you know, someone's going to be crunching the numbers, whatever the box office return is, someone's going to crunch the numbers and say that, uh, you know, the adjusted inflation market share will be better for the original Space Jam than LeBron James Space Jam, especially if they're Michael Jordan fans. So I can only imagine we're going to have like the next week of Twitter is just going to be inundated with just, you know, backlash about Space Jam here. Well, well, here, here's the thing. Space Jam wasn't a big hit when it came out. Right, right. It did, it did under $100 million. I'm yeah. sure you know what made Space Jam ultimately as be quote unquote beloved as it is. DVD, video. Right. That, that's what did it. Home video made Space Jam. It was a movie you could pop your kids in front of and boom. And 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 that's what happened. So we'll see what happens. But I couldn't in a in with a clear conscience look at that and not ignore the extraneous factors going on here. Right. And, and you, you know, know what? what? Go ahead. One question I had was, you know, looking at in, I can't remember how big Looney Tunes was back in the mid nineties. I can't remember what I did two days ago to be blunt. I do know that it was still relevant pretty much on TV at that time. My question to you is, and I've seen some of the Looney Tunes stuff they have on HBO max. And I think the new stuff's pretty solid. Um, albeit un unspectacular, but it's solid. It's 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 entertaining, and I would you know if you have young kids or nieces or nephews, put them in front and watch the new Looney Tunes. It's fun. Do you think a movie like the original Space Jam could be made today with the Looney Tunes characters being not maybe as relevant as they were when it was just cable TV and you pretty much all, it's all you had was that watching cartoons on Saturday mornings or getting videos things like that? Do you think? Instead of this being a sequel, if this was the first movie with the Looney Tunes characters in it, do you think anybody would care? That's a good question. Um, I don't consider this a sequel, by the way. It's a reboot. Okay. But, um, you know, that's a good question. 
for someone like me, the Looney Tunes are always going to be re relevant. And I'll show you point blank. Right. Here you go. Say hello to my little friend. <laughs> okay, so some Bugs Bunny merchandise. That's good. We've got the Minions a couple weeks ago. Now we get Bugs Bunny. This is set on my desk in my office for for close to 30 years. I've owned this. Right. I've got one, two, three, four, <clears throat> five Bugs Bunny Funko Pop figures. Okay. I think there, there there would be curiosity value for people sure. my age. I don't I don't think that necessarily translates into a huge box office because they're not gearing it that way. Right. <clears throat> so the Looney Tunes are always going to be relevant, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, well, it's something I grew up on, but I just kind of look at it like nowadays, if you want to see the Looney Tunes, it seems like you... There, first of all, there's so many more options out there, whether it's on a Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon or what Disney, things like that. But then also different streaming options now. PBS has a lot of great stuff, too, for kids. So I kind of wonder, you know, thankfully HBO Max kind of rebooted, you know, the, the Looney Tunes franchise. And I kind of wonder if, if, a, if a Space Jam sequel would exist had it not been for the fact that they said, well, we're going to reboot the Looney Tunes franchise with new episodes. Obviously, you have the library of the old episodes in HBO Max right now. But I think trying to get a new audience, a younger audience that uh, didn't grow up on it, that can grow up on it now, kind of like how Sesame Street tries to do where they're trying to be relevant all the time every year for decades. It seems like Looney Tunes getting the reboot on HBO Max probably helped a movie like this get off the ground a little bit more because like you said, the first movie didn't really make a ton of money, at least domestically, it did pretty well globally. But you kind of wonder with all the competition, all the different kids programming out there, that had they not wanted to reinvest in the reboot, that maybe a Space Jam sequel just would, or a reboot of Space Jam wouldn't have made as much sense to me. Well, keep in mind that this movie, and I was I was in the locker room when news broke about this movie being made. That's how long it's been. Just, <laughs> right. I mean. LeBron has been in LA what three seasons? That's and, true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was in the locker room when it broke that he was going to redo this. I remember who I was standing next to, talking about this movie with. So I don't know if 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 that helped at Coincide. all. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we can both agree maybe that uh, we'd rather see LeBron maybe behind the camera doing more, uh, you know, like he he was a, an executive producer on the uh, the Tulsa Massacre uh, documentary on CNN. So maybe, maybe LeBron can find his niche a little bit more behind the camera as opposed to acting. But who knows? Maybe he'll get better. Well, see, here's the thing. His production company is allegedly for sale now. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll be talking about some sales here uh, in, later on, but I guess we've had our fill. I see that you uh, you have given uh, a B minus here to Space Jam: A New Legacy, so recommendation from George. Like you said, you are sort of in the minority here, but hey, everybody watches film and looks at it differently. So sometimes you just got to take it for what it is, and maybe just have a little bit of fun with it. I, look, I'm the guy who who gave the the first Scooby Doo live action movie a a, a positive review. 
and Warner Brothers used my quote in an ad. So if I can wear, the, if I can still well, wear that, hey. Well, we'll have to talk about that. Uh, we'll have to talk about stuff like that during one of our shows because I'm very intrigued. Uh, uh, there are some some film critics out there that you know they they used to really go for the gold, so to speak, on trying to get on the box of a DVD or a Blu-ray cover. So maybe we'll pick your brain about that here in the future. But uh, want to transition here into our next topic, which is uh, the Emmy nominations came out yesterday. You know, I don't know how much you get into the Emmy nominations. I actually never really did. I was more of an Oscars guy uh, to a lesser, lesser, lesser degree, the Golden Globes. But uh, the Emmys have always been, I've never been a big TV fan, but over the last few years with streaming and getting streaming services, I've gotten more into TV. And, you know, I love watching limited series. I know we talked about Mayor of Easttown uh, several times here on the show. Uh, but anything stand out in the what seems like a million categories for the Emmy nominations? Anything stand out to you? Snubs, surprises, anything that you were happy about? The snubs? Here, here, here's the snub you take. 90% of the nominations went to streamers, as near as I can right. figure. And that, that basically tells me that, for the most part, creatively, network television is in a world of of hurt. Right. That's what I take from these nominations. And that's the first thing I look to. How were they distributed? And I you've got This Is Us for NBC. You've got Blackish right. for ABC. But most of these, HBO, Netflix, uh, HBO Max, Amazon Prime. Um, it's, it's, I mean, we've We've reached a point where network television matters less and less in the, in the cultural zeitgeist, I think. That's what I think from this. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that I wanted to touch on. Um, you know, and it's funny that you, you mentioned the shows that actually were kind of holdovers from the network television. We're talking about shows that are sort of in their ending life expectancy. I mean, This Is Us isn't going to go on forever. Blackish probably won't go on forever, even though they've spawned a lot of you know, spinoffs. But um, yeah, you're, you're, you're hitting the nail right on the head. What I thought, too, looking at all of this was network television just can't compete right now. And I don't know if it's because they can't be as edgy or they can't be as creative. But, you know, there are some shows where, you know, you can't even imagine a show like that being on network television, which already puts them in the hole. And, you know, I think you're right. They're in, they're in a world of hurt right now to try to com be competitive with these streamers. And it's almost as if they have no chance in hell right now to, to, to compete with streamers. But see, and, and we've talked about this too. They don't have to compete because for the most part, with the exception of Netflix and Amazon Prime, they own the streamers. So true. <laughs> so, it's true. I mean... I, they really, they just want to keep the the, the, the bottom line in, in the black. That's what it boils down to. Quality-wise, they have a big problem in, in that they can't. Here it is. I knew growing up how my family spoke in the house. You know what I mean? Right. And then you got to look and... At, at at 
a at a show like Happy Days or or Laverne and Shirley, and while they had their 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 good traits, there was really no edge there, and it was all saccharine sweet, blah 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 blah. The closest it ever got for me to to reality, to to edge, to something I could visi visibly recognize, was Good Times, and and and. The Jeffersons, all those sitcoms, and they had that edge. I mean, it, James Evans in, in in Good Times wasn't afraid to say, "What the hell are you talking about, Florida?" Or "Damn it, Junior, shut up!" And it's like, you know, that was my life, and, and that that's what I recognize. And and to me, that's reality. I mean, it, it's not overtly harsh. It's just reality. And too, for, for, for far too long, network TV hasn't really brokered in reality. You see it more and more with shows like Blackish. I've tuned into it more than a few times. Right. You see it in, in this, uh, this Is Us, where you know the, 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 the network shows are catching up to reality, I guess you'd say. The problem is they've been surpassed by these streamers. And then let's be real, HBO passed them eons. Right. So I think it's a case of audience. They've dictated the terms. We want reality or some semblance of it. I don't know how realistic dragons are. Yes, I do. But <laughs> we want some semblance of reality. Face it, reality is relatable, period. And I don't think a lot of shows, network shows, until the, the beginning of the Bochco era with Hill Street Blues gave you any semblance of that reality. And now they're paying the price. Right. Well, you know, a, a couple of things that stood out, aside from, of course, I guess it was to be expected. I wasn't really not expecting the streamers to do well because they tend to always do well. Um, but mostly for me, it was more of, of the excitement, sort of like whether you like award shows or not, It's it was sort of like partial validation for some things. Like I really loved the HBO Max show Hacks. I think it's the best original series that HBO Max has by far. Jean Smart was well-deserving. I think everybody pretty much knew she was going to get a nomination for lead actress in a comedy series. But I was also excited for, like, Hannah Einbinder, who's a stand-up comedian, playing the, the role of the young writer to Deborah Vance, Jean Smart's character. She got nominated for, uh, for an Emmy for Supporting Actress. Stuff like that kind of excited me because, on one hand, I felt like the Academy was doing well, but then there were other things that kind of scra I scratched my head about a little bit. Um, I know uh, Steve McQueen's um, small acts uh, anthology, whatever you want to call it, on Amazon Prime didn't really score as well. Like John Boyega did not get anything, which I was very surprised about as an act. You know, he dominated. But I guess it's the it's like the Academy of Motion Pictures. You know, you give it, then you take it the way. I mean, sometimes you get those weird, you know, people that get nominated, not to the Golden Globes degree, but sometimes you get some strange, you know, insert versus uh, someone maybe missing out on a nomination. But I think the thing that maybe 
makes me think about the limited series competition. There's so many comp- competitors now in the limited series range where you almost need to expand from five to seven or eight or nine or 10, because we're seeing so many limited series out there right now. Um, and, you know, something like the good Lord bird uh, didn't get nominated from Showtime, which a lot of people expected. And Ethan Hawke didn't get nominated for best actor. So um, where you're excited that mayor of East town did well, or I may destroy you, the Michaela Cole uh, sexual assault uh, show was great on HBO you, you kind of feel like maybe they need to expand because of how much we're getting hit on the head. You don't want to water everything down, but there are some categories where you really feel like you could expand to, to really nominate worthy performances or worthy you know projects. Limited series is certainly one of those. And for the very reason you stated, um, you know, I, I, I don't know whether, I don't remember whether, um, Lovecraft Country got nominated. Um, I know that there are a lot of nominated for limited series. I mean, Um, it was drama series. They, they, yeah, yeah. To me, I was getting a lot of flack for having canceled that, but I figured it was a one-off from the start because it was based on a novel. I viewed it as a limited series, and right. it's probably better to go there. Um, what it, yeah, most new content, and I hate calling it content, most shows are, are, are configured for that way. We're not looking, with streamers, we're not looking at a situation where they're looking to have these shows for, for 10 years. They're right. not. If you get four, four, four years out of them nowadays, consider yourself lucky. Not even right. four years. Let's call it four seasons. Four ten right. episode seasons. They're not doing 26, 22 episodes a year. Right. They're not. So. Well, and especially with HBO, I mean, that's that's always been sort of their calling card. They, Generally speaking, they know when to get out while the getting's good. They don't try to let you have 10 seasons or whatever it may be. I mean, Sex and the City and, and The Sopranos are probably the only, you know, we're talking to you, Game of Thrones. <laughs> Probably the, the the few exceptions to the rule where you still get out while the getting's good, but now of course you get you know, Game of Thrones spinoffs, and you're you know the Sopranos has a, a prequel movie coming out, and Sex and the City is getting rebooted. You know, I mean, uh, you know, so there are times where. HBO maybe probably overdoes it with the number of seasons and, and trying to milk it for what it's worth because I think by having fewer seasons, they also put themselves in a bind where they have to have new content, new shows, as you said, to fill those gaps in. And that sometimes is, a, is an issue for them because, you know, like last year they had Perry Mason debut and I was I was not expecting Perry Mason to be a big, you know, ratings hit, but it was. Mayor of Easttown was a big ratings hit. Unfortunately, Watchmen and Lovecraft Country didn't seem to get the big ratings that you would want for movie, you know, for movie like shows that are going to cost a lot of money to produce. So maybe that's what you're right. You know, Lovecraft Country, as much as everybody would like to see a second season and as much as the 18 or 20 or whatever nominations they received validates having a second season. Maybe it's just not in the best interest financially for Warner Media to do that. Correct, and, and I don't know if you know. There's a, a huge controversy around that because 
the creator of the show, the showrunner, had an 80-page Bible set up for the second season. Yeah. HBO yeah. like, no, no. And it's like, I don't know. I never read the novel. I don't know how good the source material was. You know what I mean? Right. right. Now, all the allegory, the metaphor in, in, in that show, absolutely love. But I like Damon Lindelhoff's treatment of Watchmen. He had yeah. something to say. He said it. He got the hell out of there, and he told them no, no second season. So yeah, I, it, it's it's that entire situation is a dicey proposition. And the thing is, HBO has this unbelievable pr pressure because that ten o'clock Sunday time slot mm -hmm. is is their must see TV, right. They're normally putting a show in there with a lot of expectations attached to it. Right. Well, I will say that, you know, and I think a lot of it seems to be slowed down by the pandemic. I will say, though, um, that my wife and I watched the first uh, episode of The White Lotus, which is their newest uh, limited series, and I liked it a lot. And I, I do want to watch more of that. So. I will say they did a good job there to, to get you hooked in for that first, uh, you know, that first show. Not quite on the level of Hook as like Mayor of Easttown, but it's something that I will continue watching as it, you know, as it progresses through this limited run. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that, you know, that, that time slot's kind of been, lately they've kind of just gone with in treatment, you know, back-to-back -back episodes. And, I don't, you know, usually they have a better overlap, and I think the pandemic had to have wrecked quite a bit of havoc on them. I know... You know, I was expecting or hopeful that uh, their uh, Los Angeles Lakers show uh, would be on this year, but it looks like it's going to be pushed back to next year. And that maybe would take in some of that, you know, high expectation 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday kind of must-see TV. So, you know, there's still hope for some future projects, but I think they were severely slowed down by the pandemic and, and hopefully they can get caught back up because generally they don't have too many lulls in the action between you know, one series ending and the other one overlapping and getting going next. Now, what was it? it? It was Perry Mason last year, and that led into Lovecraft, didn't it? Yeah. See, I, I think love Lovecraft was like in August. Yeah, I think I, Perry Mason was in June, and then Lovecraft was in August, um, in August release, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, see, I love Perry Mason. That took its share of hits, but that, that was a fabulous show as far as I was concerned. That's one I have not caught up on yet. I, you know, I, I like Matthew Reese, and I, I'm interested in watching it. Um, I, I don't know. I've kind of gravitated towards other stuff, and and just kind of, I really, I was, I was pleasantly surprised with the White Lotus. I think that's going to be a fun little dark comedy satire. Um, but um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very geeked up for a lot of the uh, potential future releases. I'm not really the the Game of Thrones fans. I, I've really only watched a few episodes. I've never gone through the entire run. Um, but, uh, there's other stuff that I'd prefer to watch first. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very excited for the, the Showtime Lakers, you know, series that they're going to have. I'm very excited about that. Um, so we'll see what happens, but, um, you know, HBO cleaned up, I, everybody, you know, streamers did clean up in general, um, was a little disappointed. I don't, I mean, maybe I'm wrong and, and, and not really thinking about it, but, I didn't think uh, the Underground Railroad did as well as it should have, too. I've only seen a few episodes there, but they didn't get the acting nominations that I really thought they would score in, in a series like that. You know, they're, 
you go back to expanding the categories, there is a, such a glut that how do you pare it down to just seven nominees? Right. You should probably go to a top ten in, in all the acting categories simply because there is so much content. Um, you know what? I, I, I saw the first... I still have to get through Underground Rail, Railroad. It's The episodes I've seen, it's brilliant. My problem is up here in that American, I, I want to see things looking forward more sure. now than looking back. Um, I, I, the first episode just, it did me in for a few weeks. Right. So it took a while to get back to it. And then I, I got in a couple more episodes, but it's like, I, I, I want to go forward to a certain degree. Now, if that's not to say if there's something I know it's gonna, I'm hearing it's gonna blow, blow me over. I won't take a peek, but it's like, there are other stories to tell at this point. So that could be what happened there. Right. Well, and our, our guy, Don Cheadle, you know, he, he had, what, three minutes of screen time in Falcon and Winter Soldier, and he gets a nomination, which, look, I professed, I professed my love for Don Cheadle last week with No Sudden Move, so don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan, and I'm glad Don Cheadle gets his day in the sun here, but it seems like there's some arbitrary, uh, you know, nominees just because of who they are, or maybe they feel like, hey, this is a Falcon and Winter Soldier production, so people are going to want to watch to see if Don Cheadle wins. You know, WandaVision scored some nominations as well for Disney Plus, The Mandalorian um, also, which I'm a I'm a huge Star, Star Wars fan. I have to admit, I don't find The Mandalorian all that engrossing as much as other Star Wars content, to be honest with you. I like it, but it doesn't like blow me away for like this is an Emmy nomination worthy show. Well, it it kind of surprised me. Now, keep in mind, Star Wars actually got a Best Picture nomination way back when. Um, you know, it was appointment TV for 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 my family. I I'm not craving it at this point. So right. I get. I get what you're saying. As for Don Cheadle, even <laughs> UTF with that nomination. So, um, yeah, very funny. But the Mandalorian, I know, I I don't get that one. I, I, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little, it, you know. It's it's not a bad show. It's well produced. It's beautifully shot. I just, I don't know. I like it, but I don't fall in love with it like a lot of the other you know i think a lot of it was that when it came out it came out right when disney plus released so and when it came out it was essentially the only original content that they had on there outside of their normal disney or pixar and star wars libraries so i think people kind of gravitated towards it and probably like it more than they really do because it was at the time the only thing that was there that was something they hadn't seen before or maybe as a child or whatever. So I don't know, maybe it, maybe it's uh, people just having that, uh, that impact. It's like, it's better than what it is because it's the thing that we see right now. It's the only thing that's new. Are you, are you accusing Disney of being a cinematic drug dealer? 
get your hook with something and then but, well, but then again, I say that, and then of course, you know, the Mandalorian's first season scores a bunch of Emmy nominations. So maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm the dummy. You know, maybe I don't know what I'm, I'm saying here. When every, you know, the, the, although I will say this, I think in a lot of ways, especially with the Emmys having like 850 categories, that they probably look at, hey, if we nominate certain things, much like the Golden Globes does, where you give a little rub to someone. And then you get nominated because you talk to their, you know, foreign press, you know, correspondents. You get a nomination for it. Maybe the, you know, television academies thinking, eh, you know, it wouldn't be bad if a movie, uh, you know, the cinematic universe of Marvel gets nominated with WandaVision. Or, you know, I'm sure Loki probably has an opportunity next year to maybe score some nominations. So, I don't know. I just feel like there's always those in the back of your mind. Are they really, you know... You could say this about anything, even the Academy Awards. But are they really, you know, representing the best of the best of TV, or are they trying to sneak a couple of things in there to make it a little bit more worth your while to watch those award shows that go on for four hours? How dare you! <laughs> I know. I'm, not, I'm never going to get invited to the, uh, you know, to the Emmys at this point. I don't think so. Put it to you this way: There's a reason the People's Choice Awards exist, right? I'm gonna leave it there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're talking about sort of the, you know, the impact of of what's hip and what's hot and what's cool. One of the things that we came across here, George, is uh, A24, an independent film company that has produced some terrific films. Don't get me wrong. Although they've never really made a, a gigantic blockbuster like, holy crap, this movie just made this company millions and millions of dollars on, on end. But A24 has floated the idea, or at least it was floated the idea in Variety, that they might be for sale. And the little company that could might be worth $2.5 to $3 billion. What are your thoughts on A24 maybe having a price tag in the billions of dollars range? Uh, I want to know who's smoking what. <laughs> um, you know what? It's got two films that I remember: Moonlight, yeah, and Uncut Gems. Right. It's it's the definition of independent art house filmmaker. Right. Now, and and this is where we get into what's going on all over the place. Everything which is probably why they're justifying the price tag. Content is king. Right. And I, I think that's what this is. Are, you know what? It, it could be I'm out of touch, but I don't see this when, when, war, when MGM is being sold for $9, million, $9 billion and they have a substantial library, even right. if it only pulls back 30-something years. They still have a substantial library of hits too, of box yeah. office hits. Yeah, and they're and Amazon is paying close to nine billion for them. I just don't get three billion for a twenty four. I yeah, I don't. It's it's funny, you know, reading sort of the you know reading some of the tea leaves here. It seems as though it's the people want to take advantage of it now while it's sort of the hip studio, like you, you talked about Moonlight, which is a terrific film and it deserves an audience of any kind. But 
We're also talking about their top grossing movie was Hereditary, and that's a, that had an $81 million box office take. Now, Lady Bird had a, a $78 million, and then Moonlight and Uncut Gems, uh, you know, round out the top four. Um, but I, I kind of feel like, you know, you, you start talking about wanting to purchase libraries or content or future content. I mean, A24 is, is, a, is a nice cutting edge independent art house into, you know, studio that I'd love to see more movies from. I'd love to see them get an investment to maybe buy different projects. But then you also wonder if they might start, you know, getting more mainstream if they get more money and, you know, need to make that money back for whoever purchases them if someone does. But, you know, I also read, too, in these stories that, you know, Apple or Amazon, who has trillions of dollars to spend, what's a couple billion dollars to spend on a studio that they can get that library and get future titles and, you know, maybe reinvest into the products and, and have better, you know, a, a more wide array of, of movies and TV shows. So I guess to that degree, I understand. I just don't know if I would say that it's worth $3 billion based on some of the good and great movies they have, but not great box office successes. And at the end of the day, you, you're going to get, MGM sold for as much as it did because it has like the James Bond franchise and people have seen those movies that eyes have been on that product. Not as many eyes have been on these, on these movies. Like I can't really, I've seen Midsummer, the Florence Pugh movie. I can't really imagine that movie really getting a lot of eyeballs on Apple TV plus or Amazon prime. I mean, I just don't know. I mean, it did get a better, it did have a better box office return than I remember having it. I mean, it's actually the fifth most highest grossing movie of all time for A24. But, you know, you're talking about movies like The Witch, you know, I mean, Ex Machina is probably maybe the most mainstream movie that I can recall that, you know, maybe had an inflated budget. Um, I'm a huge fan of Spring Breakers. That's, I mean, I'll, I'll go to my grave on that one. I just loved Spring Breakers. It was a fun, satire, dark comedy but again, you know, these are kind of niche movies that I just wonder if if it's worth a three mil, a three billion dollar price tag. I don't know if anybody's worth that with the the limited eight year content window that you have with a twenty four. Um, I would say no, but then again, they're all playing with monopoly money at this point, aren't they? <laughs> That's true. I mean, and 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 here's one of the things that's going to, to, to drive all these deals in the future. I don't know if you know, you, you've read it recently that Universal is only going to license its films to Peacock right. for an extended period after they leave theaters now. We're right. heading in that direction where Paramount is going to go with, with Paramount Plus. Right. Warner Brothers will obviously go with HBO Max and and eventually you're going to see Disney doing the same thing. Everybody's going to have their own little, well, rather sizable slice of the pie. And they're going to protect right. it. And they're going to dry, try to funnel everybody to their services that way. And, and that, that's what's going to drive this. So um, I don't know who's going to be a suitor for, for for this studio, I really don't. Pro primarily because they're not—they're not mainstream. They're—they're right. they're really not. I mind you, I love independent film, but they're not right. mainstream. Therefore, they're not—they're not 
pulling in a lot of money, a lot right. of revenue. In the I would say that, I think based on the content, like the quality of movies, I think they have sort of a legacy fit with HBO Max because when you think of 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 some of the Warner movies, you th I mean. We, we've talked about this in the past with some of the classic movies like Casablanca and Citizen Kane and 2001 A Space Odyssey that you can only find on HBO Max. Quality-wise, I think you're wanting to have places, you know, movies like Moonlight or Uncut Gems be in that HBO library. The problem is, though, after this giant merger with Discovery, do they really want to have another merger with a $3 billion purchase of, I think there's like, 90 movies in the A24, yeah, 90 movies in A24 library as of right now. Now, they have more coming out and everything. They just had Zola uh, come out here uh, a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, they're always going to have movies out, and I'm sure they're going to dabble more in TV. But content-wise, I think it belongs in HBO because of some of the other legacy and pedigree films that they have in HBO Max. But then price-wise... You almost think that only Apple TV Plus and Amazon have the the kind of money to th to throw around and purchase the little engine that could essentially in the three billion dollar independent studio. AT T is not shelling out any more money for content, and they still right. run that show. Basically, they still have a majority yeah. stake. They have been burned. They got too close to the fire and didn't have any idea what the hell they were doing. Right. Well, it may be Disney, um, you know, with Hulu's partnership, they could, those are the kinds of movies that maybe you could strengthen Hulu's foothold in some of that secondary market. Um, I've actually appreciated what Hulu's done here with, they've had Nomadland on, um, you know, they had another round uh, with Mads Mikkelsen. So, you know, they've had some of those art house kind of movies like that, where maybe if Disney decided to pony up and put all of that content on Hulu, maybe that could be a possibility as well. Except for one thing, and, and I don't know who's still left from this era, Disney owned Miramax, and Miramax was too edgy for them. <laughs> I think the heads of Miramax were probably too edgy for them. I, I, some of the content was too edgy for them. No, I know what you mean, you know. So, you know, that's, that's another thing. It's like... Yeah. They are very, very aware of image and potential backlash. Yeah, that so, is true. I mean, it's a possibility. I mean, I, I think on the strength of it, you would think Amazon would probably make a lot of sense because they just had the purchase of MGM, and they're they're apparently you can tell that Amazon wants to strengthen their library. This is a nice way to do it. Plus, you're getting some of those movies on there that, you know, whether you want to say their box office successes or not, you know, Moonlight made a lot of money for the amount of money that it cost to make. It's just, you know, I think when you're looking at streaming, you're also wanting to have, you, you want to have your little art house section where people can discover, you know, hidden gems that they never saw before or never would have thought to see in theaters. But you also want to make sure that people are subscribing to your, your programming because you have programming that people want to see. So it's kind of a tough mix because you want to have the those pedigree Oscar contenders and Oscar Oscar winners, but let's face it: if if someone gives you a, a choice between, well, you can have Moonlight or La La Land on your streaming service, who do you think most of these streamers are going to pick? They're going to pick La La Land because it had more eyeballs on it. I, the, the 
more I think about it, Amazon seems like a natural fit. And let's it does. And they they have money that's just collecting inches of dust. So I, I get what you're saying there. It, 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 and let the, the 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 MGM catalog gives them the eyes. The, a, a studio like A24 could could give them the prestige. Absolutely, it, it, it kind of makes sense. Plus, I don't know if you saw this this week. Amazon just ponied up for Norman Lear's entire catalog. Okay. So we're talking all in the family. The Jefferson, right. good time. Sanford and Son, my favorite. I wish you. I hope they have the, the the ability to remaster some of those, right? Especially the old Sanford and Son episodes. But now they 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 seem to be very aggressive right now. Eight to four is looking to sell itself. That's probably going to be its be, their best bet, and they have the money to not care. Yeah. Well, and so does Apple TV Plus, which. You know, based on a lack of library, they wouldn't. They should probably be looking at purchasing all this stuff if they really want to be a competitor in the streaming wars. Because yeah, they have some solid original content, but after their original content, all they really have is maybe the Peanuts gang, um, you know, as, as sort of a library of content. So they they could probably use it for the sheer need of library content, even though yeah, there's only 90 movies, and obviously they you know they'll probably have two or three a year maybe or you know, one or two a year at least. But, um, you know, I, I think Amazon's a logical fit. Apple's a fit because it has, you know, stupid amount of money too and a need for, you know, thickening, you know, thickening up their library while still maybe offering it that five, six, seven dollar, you know, package possibly. So either way, I, I'm still a little baffled as, as, as much as I like to, I love seeing the, you know, the small, independence doing well three billion dollars seems like a lot for anything especially something with less than a hundred titles and less than 10 years of service in the industry but uh you know i guess that's the way the thing works where i you know also in the story there too they mentioned hey this is an opportunity to sort of what they think of is buy low and expect it to grow and become even more profitable in years to come which i don't know if i agree with that because i don't know if they're trending in that we're going to make, you know, the independent movies. Like if X, if X Machina had made like $150 million, then you could say, okay, this, this is a, a, a company that's going to have the ability to get eyeballs on them. But with an $81 million total box office take movie being your number one movie, it's hard to really get behind the idea that a lot of eyeballs are going to be on it. Even though the profit margins are probably pretty nice for A24, I don't see the the number of eyeballs that they would need to to really warrant a three billion dollar price tag. That's a lot. I agree. Well, Georgia, what's coming up? Uh, what's what's coming down the pike here, movie wise, for you? What are you seeing next? Uh, I think I see Stillwater, and that's going to be dependent on my sports schedule next week. But okay. Stillwater coming out next week. I forget what else. Next week we have the premiere of. Do you have H, uh, Apple TV Plus? Do, do you have Apple what TV Plus? I do, do Apple, yeah. I have a, I have a free premiere, preview of it every year, yeah. The, the, the premiere of Ted Lasso. Oh, okay, week. yeah. Yeah, and I've, yeah I've very seen the, nominated, nominated series. I've seen the first three episodes. So. Okay. 
All right. Well, we'll talk about that. I'm excited for Stillwater, uh, Tom McCarthy's follow-up to my one of my favorite movies of the last decade, Spotlight. Um, Matt Damon gets a starring role here as an Oklahoman, so we'll see how that works out. Kind of excited to see what your, your thoughts are on that. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting turn considering the subject matter. Yes, so, yeah. I know it got sort of a mixed response at Cannes, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it kind of comes over to the mainstream, you know, and in American critics, see what they have to say. But uh, mixed review, mixed bag at, at the Cannes Film Festival. But at this point, we're just happy to see movies back and festivals going on again. Well, wait, that that's Europe, and we're talking about a movie about someone from Oklahoma. Oh, I know. I I prefaced it. Well, we'll see how it how it's responded to here in the states. But uh, I'm a big fan of, of uh, Matt Damon and uh, love Tom McCarthy's Spotlight. Like I said, it was um, one of my favorite movies of the past decade. So I'm excited to see, you know, kind of what uh, what he does with this uh, follow up here. So, uh, well, George, we definitely appreciate your time. We'll be uh, excited to talk to you next week about some new uh, opportunities for movies and streaming. Until then, we'll see you next week. All right. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.